listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, this is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. We're in the home stretch of 2021, a year that has seen positive equity prices in both Canada and the United States, with the predominant themes of inflation, rising interest rates, back and forth trading, something that we like to call the ebbs and flow market, something we actually talked about in our year ahead piece for 2021. We're going to cover all of those in this podcast today, but specifically three things in particular that we think investors are either focused on, should be focused on, or a fact that we'd like to bring to light in overall investing. We're also going to cover our targets in Canada and the United States and on a sector-by-sector basis, some stock ideas and themes. First off, this whole notion of interest rates in the stock market not being able to go up together. Oh, to the contrary. Remember, we have been in this excessively low interest rate environment really since the pandemic lows. And we had a wonderful response from central banks around the world and fiscal response from governments that really helped stimulate the economy, stock market, asset prices. The reality of this is that that can't go on forever. And I think that reality is is something that is very confusing to investors uh, because we as investors want to know everything right away. Kind of like life, you can't know things right away. And I think it's one of those situations where uh, the conundrum of trying to figure out when the Fed actually is going to taper has kind of confounded investors that way too much focused on that. We called it actually in a report earlier this year, taper vapor. And for all intents and purposes, the last time and the only time, by the way, the United States and the Federal Reserve has ever tapered has been once. And it happened uh, coming out of the financial crisis. Uh, and Mr. Bernanke was head of the Fed at the time and actually hinted of tapering in a congressional testimony, that's when the stock market went down 5.8%. From that 5.8% bottom of the correction to when the Fed finally tapered several months later, the stock market was up 10%. What does that tell you? It tells you that investors are excessively skittish, more rhetoric-driven than factually driven. And that's really been the case during this whole notion of when and if the Fed's going to taper. Be that as it may, there remains a tremendous amount of fear that as interest rates go up, it will quell the stock market recovery that we've seen. Again, we tried to combat some of those fears in good old-fashioned analysis in our strategy reports that we produce for BMO Capital Markets, some of which we show you that it is actually good that interest rates are beginning to rise from these depressed levels because that tells you that the economy is actually improving. That's number one. Number two, it actually shows that the, that the market and the economy can stand on its own two feet without intervention in this quote-unquote easy money from the Fed. And number three, it actually provides opportunities as investors, we think, become a little bit too skittish and scared about particular relationships. That is especially true with technology stocks. We recently published a piece talking about, oh yeah, technology can go up as interest rates continue to go up. In fact, here are the facts. Five out of the last seven interest rate cycles, when we've seen interest rates and yields go up, Technology sector has outperformed the broader S&P 500. We've seen that so far this year, by the way. Remember, in the beginning of the year, we had fears with respect to inflation, and many people thought that 10-year Treasury was going to go to 2%. Well, funny thing happened on the way to that. Now, all of a sudden, at the last couple of months of the year, we're right back on that inflation trade, while interest rates, for all intents and purposes, if you add some perspective to it, 
actually been in a pretty big range this year after being a little bit uh, bullish, I mean, sorry, on the upside rising in the beginning of the year, now rising in at the end of the year, for all intents and purposes, has been in a rigging range this year. Be that as it may, technology stocks have clearly had more volatility, especially in the month of September. I think as many investors were short-sighted, blaming the valuation uh, argument with respect to that. We'll talk about technology when we talk a little bit more about sectors on a sector-by-sector basis, but I think it's too simple just to sell technology uh, because of valuation and its relationship to interest rates. Be that as it may, remember, again, the facts are five out of the last seven interest rate cycles, when interest rates and yields have gone up, technology has outperformed. Let's talk a little bit about energy now. We wrote a recent piece with respect to energy, especially in Canada. And to be clear, we have favored Canadian energy over U.S. energy. Our overall viewpoint from a from a tactical and intermediate basis that we believe much of the oil price improvement is already built in. Uh, we do believe the majority of the upside that we've seen in energy stocks and the price of WTI, let alone Western Canadian Select, has been more momentum-driven relative to fundamentals. However, if you take a look at how demand has clearly outstripped supply, uh, that's why we've seen this big move in energy prices. However, when you take a look at historically, uh, when we've seen demand outstrip supply for several quarters in a row, in fact, we've seen it for five straight quarters this time around, it typically does not portend to actively positive stock prices in energy, let alone the underlying commodity in the next 12 to 18 months following this. That's part of the reason why we remain more defensively positioned, i.e. market weight, neutral energy in both Canada and the United States. And the United States, obviously, a much smaller sector in Canada, much more important. But we remain more defensively and cautiously positioned in terms of the stocks that we own in our real life money portfolios. Again, uh, when we go through sectors at the end of this podcast, uh, we'll give you some ideas and why we're thinking what we are thinking. Subject matter, I think that a lot of people have been confused about in 2021 is this notion of, am I a growth investor or am I a value investor? Heading into 2021, our advice to investors was equal weight, both growth and value. You want to own both. And I think the tilt on what you want to be in is high quality. So cash flow, earnings consistency, earnings discernibility, great balance sheets, operating performance is improving. You know, part of the value trade in the beginning of the year was really centered around adding risk to those areas that are potentially higher levered uh, and or much more economically sensitive. And that didn't literally last very long. But what's interesting is that financials have done well all year long. Uh, they had a little bit of a malaise mid-year when there was a, obviously a big move back into growth stocks. But this ebbs and flows back and forth between growth and value favors more of a neutral position on both sides. And that is why we continue to advocate more of a balanced approach with respect to being equal weight growth and value. And this strategy was never more prevalent than when we saw weakness in September. September was a tough start to everybody kind of coming back to work following a summer. Uh, and we obviously saw a lot of volatility, but growth and value were basically in line with each other with respect to performance. Again, a trend that has followed through for most of this year. You can't talk about 2021 without talking about supply chains and inflation. Our great economics department continues to believe that while inflation has spiked here, we have seen some data recently, especially PMI and CPI, that have not been as strong as most people anticipate. I think that's part and parcel why here in October, we've seen a bit of a rally again to the upside in markets, but I think it's also quelled some of the fears. Be that as it may, we do have supply chain issues that are realities to several sectors, if not all sectors, uh, but there happens to be a bit of, we think, overreaction from the rhetoric that we're hearing in the press 
podcast, let alone the constant question and barrage of questions from clients when we when we're able to speak with them live. It always comes back to inflation and supply chain. Our take is this. Again, we would not be as nervous as most people. We would not believe some of the rhetoric. We think some of this is going to unwind faster than we think in the first half of 2022. And we actually could see more of a supply glut. You really want to focus on investing what people are not talking about. If everyone's talking about the supply shortage, no one's talking about a supply glut when all of this comes back on the, on the books, which we think will be faster than people are anticipating. So let's go through the 11 sectors uh, of the S&P for both Canada and the United States and kind of talk about some ideas. Let's start with communication services. In Canada, we think there's a real opportunity, especially given where yields and cash flow are. And we have, we've been long believers in those names in terms of our favorite yield sector in Canada, whether or not it's Rogers, TELUS, or BC. In the United States, remember, it's more of a barbell sector uh, with the higher growth on one side and the more telecom-oriented uh, hard lines on the other side. AT&T's had its issues with respect to performance as, as well as, uh, as Verizon. And there's questions upon when and if they're going to cut their dividend. Now, there's nothing for sure on that yet. So we have to be kind of careful in terms of being too bearish on AT&T. And we think the market has been a little bit too bearish on AT&T, by the way. Comcast in the United States remains one of our favorite ideas because of the broadband business and now their increased content uh, that they're providing. But really on the growthier side, we've been long-term holders and believers in Netflix and Google. And, and those companies in particular really follow through uh, with respect to the three C's of communication services, cash, content, and cannibalism. Netflix, by far, from a content perspective and streaming, is our favorite name and, and our largest position in that area. We also own little Disney, but Disney obviously has had some near-term problems with respect to content. I think Disney's an excessively well-run company, uh, and you'll see the content continue to improve there. But Netflix really is the star. On to consumer discretionary, an area that we are both overweight in Canada and the United States, uh, in names like Lululemon, uh, Amazon, Target. Those are names that we've really liked. And we also like some contrarian names uh, like Marriott. Uh, TJ Maxx is another name that we've owned for a long time uh, in the United States. And we think the strength of the consumer is going to continue. Uh, that also bodes well for Canada, where we have been long-term holders in names like Aritzia and restaurant brands, quick service restaurant, a names that we've maintained for quite some time. Magna, we also think, is going to be a name that's going to be very strong in 2022 as you start to see supply come back on board with respect to the automobile sector. Consumer staples, uh, we are underweight. And part of that reason is, is that we're not in a defensive mode in the market where I think we're on more of a, a consistency of, of, of earnings. And uh, market weight in Canada, underweight in the United States, the United States companies are a little bit more expensive. That's why we have focused more on, on the food retailers and the big box side of things, the discount side of things. So namely, Walmart, Costco, um, Albertsons is a name that we run uh, and own in our SmidCap portfolio. In Canada, we love the consumer staples area, especially uh, what we've seen from Loblaws, but uh, Tart is by far our favorite name in there. Very strong name, very strong company in terms of, of management and the like energy. Uh, again, we prefer Canada. We're neutral in both sides and we're a little bit more cash flow and balance sheet sensitive. So that's why Suncor, Trap, and Enbridge have been our long-term and Enbridge and Trap obviously have been our biggest positions for a long time. In the United States, obviously a little bit more defensive. Remember, it's a smaller part of the index. So Chevron is a name that we have like there. Uh, in terms of financials, the financials, the primary theme is scale. And that's why in the United States, we love the big banks, Bank of America, JP Morgan. We own Citigroup and a value portfolio, Morgan Stanley, Goldman, BlackRock in terms of scale. The, the asset management business is a very strong business and one that we want to own in our portfolios given the scale. 
Same thing holds true for Canada. Now, the big five banks obviously share many of the same attributes. And then the money center banks, we think there's a particular very strong opportunity to buy the Canadian banks, especially our favorites that are tied more to the U.S., that being RBC, BMO, and TD, given their multi-divisional assets, number one. But number two, they're trading at a pretty significant discount relative to regional banks in the U.S. We think there's a real opportunity there. With respect to healthcare, healthcare is in a bit of a conundrum. We're neutral in both countries. Uh, and for the very first time, uh, we bought our first wheat stock uh, late last year, Canopy, and we see some volatility in that in that area. But in the United States, we thought that we would uh, see a little bit more from the administration with respect to what their plans are in healthcare. And so far, we haven't, aside from drug pricing. We've maintained positions in Gilead and Pfizer, which have really helped the portfolio in a great company like Thermo Fisher and United Healthcare, uh, and Johnson Johnson as well. But I don't think there's a real reason at this point to be adding significant positions there, just kind of maintaining those big brand name uh, names in healthcare. On to technology in Canada, Shopify uh, by far is our favorite name. Shopify has taken it on the chin here a little bit in September, heading into October. It created, I think, a great opportunity to add the position. We think Christmas is going to be a bang-on uh, holiday Christmas in the holiday season. For that matter, we also have maintained a position in Lightspeed. The United States is a little bit more of a diversified type of approach. There's kind of four ways to buy tech. There's the secular growth, there's structural growth, they're more dividend-type growers and legacy growers. And then there's the more high, high-end growers, the lower cap, high-end, high-beta names, we've kind of avoided those, especially given the volatility in that area. And instead, from a more cyclical slash defensive value area, names like Texas Instruments and Cisco kind of fit the way that we look at things from a structural growth basis. It's NVIDIA, it's Micron, PayPal, Visa, Salesforce, Adobe. Uh, We think those names are very strong in terms of the discernibility of earnings. And then lastly, our secular growth names. Some of these names we've owned for almost 10 years in our portfolios, namely Apple, Microsoft. Uh, Again, we've talked about Google in the communication services area, which were neutral, uh, but we think it it maintains, maintaining, I'm sorry, a more neutral impact for both of those sectors make a lot of sense, given the fact it's 40% of the S&P by far over the next three to five years. Our favorite names from a sector basis remain financials, consumer discretionary, tech, and communication services. And in fact, we can build a broader case from a longer-term perspective that technology is more deflationary. Yes, I said it. More deflationary than inflationary. With respect to the next sector, materials, we're overweight in both uh, markets, both in Canada and the United States. In the U.S., a little bit more of a diversified sector than in Canada. Canada, obviously, more on the gold side and papers and furts. Uh, but in the United States, much more on, on the base metals, papers, packaging, chemicals, of which we own a stock called Ecolab for a long time. We've also had some exposure here and there from time to time in Alcoa and Nucor. I think the names that you really want to be in for growth are names like the copper names. Freeport McMurrin has been a name that has really taken it on the chin uh, lately, but it's a thematic stock for us for the most part, especially given where uh, electronic vehicles are. We think that's a very, very, very uh, key thing that is going to continue to drive that name. In Canada, it's forest products. We love the stock for West Fraser Timber. We've owned that stock for almost 10 years in our in our live money portfolios, as well as Nutrient on the Furt side, Agnico on the gold side. We think gold, in fact, uh, can be a very stable asset 
uh, going forward, especially given the fact people are going to be coming, uh, they have become more nervous on an inflation. And quite frankly, in 2020, gold did very well as investors were worried about um, the end of the world coming and being much more negative. I don't think that's the case anymore, but I do think that a lot of the materials money went into energy. And as energy, we believe, is going to become a little bit more volatile, we think that money could come back to the materials sector. A couple more sectors here. As we talk about industrials, industrials is an area that we want you to become a little bit more domestic. Now, we're overweight in both areas. In Canada, it's a great company called Waste Connections. There's CP and CN on the rail side of things that we've been positively disposed to for several years. I think they're going to benefit uh, from more onshoring that you're going to hear more and more about in 2022 and 2023, especially given all the issues that we've seen with supply chains. We think onshoring is a very, very big theme, and it benefits both Canada and the United States. With respect to the U.S., uh, we do like the rails there as, as far as uh, Union Pacific, Boeing on the airplane side, uh, Waste Management, Lockheed Martin, Illinois Tool Works, these kind of high-quality, Northrop, I'm sorry, another name, these kind of high-quality industrials that are more domestically focused. Lastly, on to REITs and utilities, our last two sectors, areas that we haven't been fond of this year, mostly because of valuation. Now, there's always going to be names that we like, like including Algonquin in Canada and Nextera uh, in the United States with respect to utilities. REITs are a little bit more thematic. I think H&R REIT is, is a great name. You know, we think some of the, some of the hotel REITs uh, that we cover are also great names. Um, Simon Properties has been a name in the U.S. that we've owned for a long, long time. They're great operators in the REIT side. The issue with REITs that we've had is that from a cash flow perspective, we've become a little bit more defensive on. And again, on utilities, they're expensive. I think we've given you a lot of great ideas heading into the end of the year. Our year ahead piece will be out sometime in November. As we talk about 2022 and beyond, we continue to believe that the bull market is very much in place, our 20 to 25 year bull market. Uh, we're in the second half of it, and that brings us to a 4,800 target on $210 of earnings on the S&P 500 by year end, and 22000 in $1,400 of earnings on the TSX by the end of the year. If you have any questions, please reach out to your relationship manager at BMO, or feel free to call me or email me. Hope all is well, stay safe, stay well, and we will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.